This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. They say life is stranger than fiction. So that actually relies on the friction with the ground. Um, in a hoverboard, you don't have that. So trying to maneuver one of these things, it's extremely difficult and quite dangerous. But sometimes what we see in movies or read in books is so incredible that it obviously couldn't be possible. Or could it? The problem with going back in time is that if you can move faster than the speed of light, then you will end up experiencing negative times. Welcome to Sci-Fi Sci-Fact. I'm Brian Crump, and this is a podcast where we take science fiction's strangest ideas, weirdest elements, most unfeasible plot drivers, and explore if they could actually happen in real life. Maybe they already have. And in every episode, we bring in a scientist from New Zealand's McDiamond Institute to explain the theories behind some of fiction's more fantastic flights of fancy, if any theory exists. In this episode, we won't need roads because Dr. Rodrigo Martinez-Gazzoni, McDiarmid Institute Research Fellow at the University of Canterbury, will be taking us back to the future and talk about all the futuristic science within it. This is a radiation suit. Radiation suit? Of course. Because of all the fallout from the atomic wars. Whoa, this is it. This is the part coming up, Doc. No, 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 no. This sucker's electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. What did I just say? The plug's collapse is stored. <laughs> this sucker's electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! Great Scott! What? what the hell is a gigawatt? Marty, I'm sorry, but the only power source capable of generating 1.21 gigawatts of electricity is a bolt of lightning. What did you say? A bolt of lightning. Unfortunately, you never know when or where it's ever going to strike. We do now. That's it. This is the answer. Where do we start? I mean, how are we going to fit Back to the Future 
and its real-life equivalents into into 20 minutes. We're going to try, though. Where do you want to start? Um, well, I guess it's totally up to you where you want to take it, but I guess one of the first things that I notice is the picture that it shows regarding how technology and material science has advanced over relatively small periods of time. Um, you can see how Martin, when he, goes back, when he goes back to the 50s, he sees some kinds of materials and technologies that are, are way outdated in the 80s where he's coming from. And seeing the, the movie now, we see how the 90s, um, the 1980s movies is way outdated regarding <laughs> materials and, and technology. So, yeah, it's... Um, that's pretty interesting and, in itself. And then there's some of the things that they thought would be happening in the 2010s, back in the 1980s, like uh, the hovering cars. You know, because a lot of the stuff that m- would make these things possible involves a, a lot of energy that's really portable. Where are you going to get the energy to lift the car off the ground and then move it? And, and a, in a way that you can also, that's light enough that you can actually have it in the car in the first place. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's that's really true. Um, I guess it really depends on what is what is it that you're after. Um, if you're after uh, something that it's portable and that it doesn't require um, specific mediums underneath, such as, for instance, a train that would require the the rails underneath, um, then yes, you need a portable source of energy that allows you to take it with you. And if you are going to fly with this thing, you would like it to be lightweight. Uh, but on the other hand, if you want something that levitates on a truck, for instance, you don't need the power source on the vehicle. You can have the power source on the truck. Ah, and you're talking about what they call maglev, aren't you? Exactly. That's that's one of the ways of, of having that, right? Which is it just is um, one of the possible futures of, of train travel. You've got tracks which have magnets and you've got magnets in the in the uh, in the vehicle, the engine, the train itself, and that they repel, and that allows the train to hover above the track and reduces friction, which means it can go even faster than the fastest trains can today. I think yes. the record's around about, at the moment, for Meglev, because they're already trying out in various parts of the world, is about 500 kilometres an hour, something mm-hmm. like that, or maybe even 600. Anyway, it's bloody fast. Yeah. But but there's a track there. See, if you have a car, uh, would, would this only work if we had some kind of magnetic strip under the road that cars hovered over? And wouldn't that defeat the purpose of having a car in the first place? Yeah, so that, that's what I was uh, mentioning to begin with, right? It d- really depends on what you're after. If you're thinking of a train, a means of tra- public transportation, in which you're moving a lot of people, um, and you don't really mind having a track underneath, that's a really good solution. For something portable, not so much. Um, actually, if um, there's a really cool... Uh, there are a lot of people trying to get this hoverboard thing going, um, and if you go on YouTube, you might find some people who have tried doing it with superconductor, uh, superconducting materials on a, it's not so much of a track, it's like um, a, a field or a, or a room filled with um, a conducting material and the superconductors are on the hoverboard and you can actually see them hovered uh, was well, and it's absolutely fun. The, the other thing that brings <laughs> it does that, sound like an amusement park. Goal. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the other thing that you have to keep in mind as well is that when you have so that the analog the analog for um, a hoverboard now would be a skateboard, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm not a skater myself, but um, I know a little bit of physics, uh, and I know that skaters, in order to steer the um, the skateboard, since they don't have a steering wheel, they have to move their weight one side or the other or apply pressure on one side or the other or the, of the board. So that actually relies on the friction with the ground. Um, in a hoverboard, you don't have that. 
So trying to maneuver one of these things, it's extremely difficult and quite dangerous, as you can actually check out uh, on YouTube. There are examples of hoverboards gone yeah, wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And people think that they can do what they can do with a skateboard, and they lean and they expect to turn, yep. and they don't turn, and they yep. crash. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> or they just the hoverboard just flies out, and the, the person trying to maneuver this thing keeps just there floating in midair, and they just fall down to the ground. Do you think that we have, within, say, the next decade, the technology to be able to produce... Um, let's let's leave aside something like a jetpack because I'm just thinking the, the amount of energy that you need to have on your back kind of negates the, maybe the convenience. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but maybe something that's battery-powered that could lift a person up and transport them from, from, say, one part of Christchurch to another part of Christchurch. Well, I think this is one of the big, big disappointments about the movie. So when, when the movie came out in, in the 80s, uh, well, both you and I were probably little kids, but mm. when we when we ended up watching it, uh, I was just hoping for the uh, flying cars to be here in the 2000s, right? So when Martin goes to 20, 2015, um, there are flying cars all over the place. So long ago now. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> right? And and here we are six years later, and I still haven't seen it. Yeah, we're still uh, stuck in traffic jams, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, absolutely. Ain't nobody absolutely. hovering above those traffic jams. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few drones up there now, but they're not carrying people at the moment. They just take photographs and, and uh, camera angles of the traffic jams. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but coming back to your question, I'm, I'm very optimistic in that sense so i think that if we wanted to do that i'm absolutely sure that we will be able to do something like that in the next 10 years i think the problem will be traffic not traffic jams but traffic itself i mean as you know we have enough troubles trying to move our cars in one direction one lane roads without having any accidents uh, if we have a multi-lane road you still have more accidents so thinking in three dimensions i think it will be really really dangerous Unless they're really smart and they can, they they they're driverless and they they can see what's coming. You're right. In you're in, right. in all three dimensions. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, but we're we're still working on that AI, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't rely on the human pilot for this. Yeah, there's there's a line, one point two one gigawatts. When mm. I've actually forgotten, I know that's famous from the movies, but I actually can't remember why it's famous. Can you remind me of that and what real-life applications 1.21 gigawatts might have? It sounds like enough power to power, I don't know, Christchurch for a year or two. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, at the beginning of the first movie, um, Chris, the actor Christopher Lloyd, who plays Doc Brown, um, sets out kind of the, the Ground, the, ground, um, the ground rules for um, time traveling. And he made this time machine out of a DeLorean, um, partly because he thought about, well, if I'm going back in time, why, don't, why shouldn't I do it in, with style? Um, and I guess that's one, one of the reasons that, why he used, chose a, a DeLorean. And the funny thing about this vehicle, or this vehicle time machine thing, is that it requires a huge amount of energy. Um, and in the 1985 timeline, uh, Doc is just using plutonium uh, as a source of energy. But when, he, when Marty goes back in time, um, plutonium is not available. It's not something that you can just get hold of it easily. Well, it's still not easy in the 80s, but even more difficult in the 50s. Um, so it, they have to find another source of energy to power this uh, vehicle. And this vehicle needs 1.21 in the movie, it says gigawatts. Um, the actual unit is gigawatts. Um, and that's an enormous amount of energy. 
And at the time, the only source of energy that they think they can think of um, that can produce that sort of power is a um, bolt of lightning. And that's why they try to harness in the first movie to get Marty back into his uh, original timeline. Why is it that we haven't harnessed lightning as a source of energy then? Well, that's a really good point. Um, there are people who have tried and there are people who are trying. Um, I guess there are two main limitations because you're right, right? I mean, if if 1.21 gigawatts is what a lightning, uh, lightning produces and that would be enough to um, power Auckland, um, we can just do that. The problem is the bolt of lightning doesn't last that long, right? It's only a few hundred milliseconds. It's less than a second. Um, so I guess you, with each line bolt of lightning, you would be able to power Auckland throughout the duration of that um, lightning effect. So that's one of the problems, right? There's, there are lo- it's a lot of energy, but output in a very short amount of time. Um, You'd have to have some way of, of, of transferring that energy to some kind of battery, wouldn't you? Well, that's the other problem, right? So um, it's not just the small amount of time that this thing lasts, but also the huge voltage and the huge currents that are um, deployed very, very shortly. Um, So you would need either to first channel it uh, and avoid melting the materials that you're using to channel that energy um, and then store it uh, or use it immediately. So ideally, you would like to use it immediately, right? That's kind of something like what you're doing with hydroelectric um, production. You use the power as you produce it. You don't have batteries to store the energy that you're producing in your hydro plant power plants. Now, finally, let's move on to the big one, time travel itself. Yeah. Now, I mean, like we can actually, we, what can we do? We, can, we could travel to the future if we could travel close to the speed of light, couldn't we? Yeah, I guess um, the easy answer is we are traveling to the future all the time, right? So the problem is that we want to be kind of selfish about it and we want, I want to be able to move forward in the future while, while everything else, everything, everyone else remains here. Um, and that's kind of the difficulty. And yeah, as you, as you said, um, one of the ways of doing it is... Um, by traveling near the speed of light. So Einstein set up the equations for this in um, early um, 1900s um, with his special theory of relativity. And what he's basically saying in that theory, among other things, is that the fastest you move, the slower time passes for you relative to someone who is not moving. So if you were able to move really, really fast, closer to the speed of light, then what you would do is um, make your time slower relative to someone, let's say, here on Earth. So then when you come back, everyone in Earth has grown old and you haven't. Um, And that's something that has actually been proven many, many times. Yes. Um, And it's something that particularly astronauts uh, experience like all the time. There's this, um, there has been for many, many years this, tale of um, explaining this story about having two twins and you set one on a spaceship and you send it very, very fast and then the other one remains here on Earth and when the um, space um, twin come back, comes back to Earth, uh, he hasn't aged 
almost nothing. And his brother or his um, sibling is uh, already old. Um, and in 2015, I think, that experiment was actually done. Um, there were two twins. Um, if memory serves, it's Mark and Scott Kelly. Uh, one of them was um, staying here on Earth, and the other one spent a year in the International Space Station. And when he came back, they did all sorts of studies on whether that was true and how much he had aged and many biological studies as well. And it turns out that he had aged um, 10 milliseconds. <laughs> But what about going back in time? How on earth or how on anywhere could we do that? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a little bit trickier. Um The problem with going back in time is that, well, one of the problems is that on paper you can do it. So if you follow Einstein's equations, uh, special relativity equations, it tells you that if you can move faster than the speed of light, then you would end up having experiencing negative times. So in the in the math, it works. The problem is that there's a fundamental limitation for speed. So you, you cannot move faster than speed of light in vacuum. So that's a no-go. But there are other people who have hypothesized about this and trying to exploit the other uh, theory of relativity that Einstein came up with, which is general relativity. And that's where you start having the curvature of the space-time. By gravity. Just, yeah. So when you have huge gravity, uh, or better yet, huge gravity density, so a lot of gravity concentrating in small um, areas, you produce a curvature of what it's called the space-time continuum. And then you can think of it as if you have, this is like a very common example, um, if you are um, in Auckland and then you want to go to, um, let's honor me, you want to go to Buenos Aires, Argentina. So it's all over all the other way, right? So you either take a plane or you a boat or whatever and you go through the surface. But if you could dig a hole through the earth, it would be a much shorter path. So that's kind of the idea of um, space-time curvature. In principle, if you can have a curved enough space, instead of going through the surface of the curved space, you can go through it. And mm -hmm. that's where these things about uh, wormholes come to play. Yeah. Well, would, would a black hole curve yeah. space sufficiently? You see, you're just reminding me of, of, of a, one, of the, one of the aspects of Interstellar, yeah. the, the science fiction Christopher Nolan sci-fi movie. Um, it involves a black hole. And, and one of the things that happens is that the future communicates with the past. Mm -hmm. And I'm suddenly thinking, I, I kind of wondered, I, that, I, that was never really explained when we had our discussion. I suddenly realized maybe that was possible because it came from inside the black hole. That maybe yeah. it was curving space-time enough to allow them commun to communicate, if not travel, to the past. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, so before we go on, full disclosure here, this is out of my field of expertise. Don't uh, worry, I'm, I'm so with you the, on that one. I know a little bit of the physics about that, um, but it's out of my expertise. So everything I'm saying, it's a combination of geekiness plus the physics that uh, I've learned. Um, but yeah, in principle, a black hole could produce a curvature that would allow you to, in principle, time travel. The thing is, black holes tends to tend to suck everything in. 
and you need a way to come out of the black hole. So um, there are many, many theories around these things. Um, none of them have been proven. Uh, everything is highly hypothetical. Um, but uh, there is one of them that um, suggests that as you have a black hole, you can also have white holes. So white holes would be the exit of the tunnel. So the black hole would be the entry point, and it would be connecting through a warm hole to a white hole that would be your exit. This is highly hypothetical. There has been no evidence of um, white holes. Uh, and even if there were, uh, there's no really grasp on how you would even be able to create one. A couple of observations. One is that if we have worked out, or if we do work out in the future, how to travel back in time, one would have thought we'd be back here by now. Yeah, And we're yeah. not. Yeah, but yeah, once yeah. we do work it out, we'll be back to anywhere, won't yeah. we? Yeah, absolutely. A and then that throws up another thing. If, if people return from the future to the past, what does that do to the future, which is one of the plot devices, of course, in Back to the Future? You go back, you change the future, and the future, because of what you did in the past when you went back, you change your present when you go back to the present. I mean, what would it do potentially to, instead of there being one line, a linear, and maybe I'm not thinking about time correctly here, but instead of there being one line, then when you go back, there are all kinds of possibilities created by you going back in time, you see? What happens to our reality if somebody travels back in time? Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of the premises of the, of the movie, um, and it's one of the worries about time traveling. Um, I think the movie resulted pretty nicely, um, and it's one of the hypotheses that, um, of, of how this might work. Namely, that you have, uh, when you go back in time, your presence there creates a new timeline, which runs, if you will, or if you want to follow the movie, it runs parallel to, to the, your previous ones. So when you go back to the future, you're not going back to your original timeline, but you go to a parallel one that um, accounts for all the changes that you've made in the past. Um, that close, This closely relates with... To some extent, quantum mechanics. Um, there are different interpretations of quantum mechanics, and one of them suggests that every time that um, one of these mm, quantum phenomena occurs, you create a an extra universe with in which everything is, is the same except for whatever you changed there. Yeah, and that um, would be the same for anybody who traveled back in time or anything that traveled back in time, wouldn't it? Yeah, Each yeah. one of those would create a new universe. Yeah, now that absolutely. would be parallel to the existing one. Yeah. And there'd be an infinite number, potentially. Yep, yeah. yeah. That's one of the reasons why many theoretical physicists don't like that approach because the claim is that it's not that elegant. Uh, it's it sounds like a waste of universes. <laughs> Does the universe mind if it's been wasted? Yeah, probably not, right? Yeah, <laughs> why should we measure things with our bar? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess the thing is, though, it's this is mind-blowing, but um, for me, anyway, and that is there's a quite a lot of matter involved in just one universe. It's like if we if you travel back in time and created a whole lot of separate universes that are now moving because of your interaction with the past... Where does all the matter come? How can matter be in more than two places at once? But then, hang on, that sounds rather quantum to me, doesn't it? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And in principle, each universe could, well, it, it depends on whether we're talking about time travel or multiple universe in quantum theory, for instance, or in if you go to more um, complicated theories like string theory. Um, but if you go in that direction, there's no reason why each universe could have its own amount of mat matter. And in principle, the laws of physics in each universe could be completely different. Um, oh, that's but, even worse. Yeah, that's or even better. worse. Yeah, that, well, yeah, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing about this um, going back in time thing is that it brings, brings up a lot of paradoxes, right? So you have this paradox of, well, you go back in time and then you prevent your parents from meeting. Then you're not born in the future. So who was the guy who went back in time to prevent your parents from meeting? Exactly. Yeah, so that's one of these mind-boggling okay, things. Okay, Rodrigo, um, do you think we'll ever be able to travel back in time? Um, I think we're, we can probably move to the future. I mean, once we can travel close to the speed of light, that will probably happen. But back in time, do you think that will ever happen? I really, really wish it will happen. I don't think it will. Be careful um, what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Sci-Fi, Sci-Fact, hosted by me, Brian Crump, produced by Andrew Robertson, and of course, made possible thanks to the incredible knowledge of those brilliant scientists in the Diamond Institute. You can find more episodes of Sci-Fi, Sci-Fact on the RNZ Podcasts page. RNZ Podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or pretty much wherever you might find your podcasts. And make sure to follow us so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.